And I'm sorry, but the F tier is only for Morbius. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, that was a bad movie. Yeah. Hey everyone, and welcome to The Webline, a podcast about Spider-Man and his amazing world. Here, we discuss all aspects of our favorite web-slinger in a fun, informal, but informative forum. I am your humble host, the Spidey Librarian, and it is time for another retro review episode. This week, we'll be covering the 2012 movie, The Amazing Spider-Man, directed by Mark Webb, and starring Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone, Dennis Leary, Martin Sheen, Sally Field, and Rice Ithens. And I hope I pronounced that name correctly. I don't know that it, there's a very weird spelling. Anyway, I'm pretty sure it's Risa Fons. Risa um, Fons? I okay. think so. I don't know. That's the pronunciation I heard. Okay. <laughs> you look at it and I'm like, well, how do I sound this out? I've never seen these, these letters in this way. So I think um, it's Welsh. Possibly, yeah. Probably. That's, you know what's really sad? I'm I'm Welsh. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have the last name Goodwin, for God's sake. So you know. Uh. Anyways, all right. Let's let's go ahead and move on. So this week I am rejoined not by one guest but two, and you can see them on the screen. Right now, Lewis Films, my fellow Spider-Man YouTuber, has returned to the webline to helm this review with me, along with another returning guest, my friend and Marvel trivia maven, Maynard. Lewis and Maynard, how are things in your respective worlds, and what have you been up to? I'll let you go first. Sure. How you doing, Maynard? I've been doing all right. Let's see, I've seen... The Marvels multiple times because I, I love, love that, movie. that movie so much. There, it in no way deserves any of the hate it's gotten. But so yeah, work reading, really loving this new putting the Mystique storyline back where it go or Nightcrawler's origin back where it goes. Oh yeah, I read about that. Lewis, did you did you hear about that? No, I haven't. Oh please, please enlighten us. Okay, so Chris Claremont's original plan for Nightcrawler's parentage was rejected by Marvel, and he had to change to what he had originally planned for Nightcrawler's origin. And then we got the whole Azazel as his father thing, and that was never... And Mystique as his mother. Huh? And Mystique as his mother. And Mystique as his mother. Yes. They have now finally set it back to what Claremont had originally intended as his origin, which is that Destiny is his mother and Mystique is his father. And it is just like, wow. (laughs) Mystique has the ability to edit her own genetics in such a way because she doesn't just shapeshift, she gene shifts. And so that's where she got the extra aspects of Kurt's appearance. My understanding um, is my understanding is that Lewis has never like you you said that you've never read an X-Men comic, is that correct? Yep. 
Never yeah. read an X Men. So, so I can only because because I can kind of follow the X Men. I'm not reading them actively right now, but like, but my God, all those mutants in their soap operas, man, can it be confusing? And so, like, I can only imagine how much how much that might be exploding. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. Basically, when Mystique shapeshifts, she doesn't just take on an appearance; she takes on a form. Yes. So if she shapeshifts into a male form, she's male. Uh, so it's not just like it's not just like a chameleon type thing. It's right. She's she's like she properly is just a guy. She's right. right. And she yeah. can't quite fully take on another mutant's power by doing that for comic book logic reasons. <laughs> um but she can take on enough of their power, apparently, that she can pass it on, but she can't take on enough to use it. Maynard, are you wearing a scarlet spider hoodie? <laughs> I am so jealous of you right now. I love that. That's great. <laughs> I am so jealous of you right I now. I thought it was appropriate. <laughs> it, it is. It is. It is. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, Lewis, wh wh uh, what have you been up to? I, to be honest with you, nothing much. Very, very boring few weeks since we last spoke. Uh, kind of just doing content. And yeah, it's pretty much it. I, I actually, no, no, no. Okay, I lie. Okay. I I have been, I have been. So, okay. So this needs context. This is going to come. This is going to be really random. So I, I do. Obviously, I love Spider-Man. I do all this content on YouTube. It's great. Um, I love doing it. It's, you know, it's, it's my passion. But. I also do have like a, a create, I have like this itch for like writing something, right? Okay. So recently I've actually been working on my first novel, which is coming at some yes. point in the next few years, I think, hopefully. It's uh, it's it's about 3,000 words deep at the moment. Okay, it's a good start. Couple chapters deep. So yeah, we're, yeah, that's what I've been doing. I've been, I've been kind of itching that little, that little, that little itch I have for, for something a bit, bit different. Like, Spider-Man, talk about Spider-Man, it's great, but you do it too much. You become brain dead. Oh, so. absolutely. <laughs> um, so the Mesozoic mind just asked, and I'm curious to ask too, if you're comfortable, what's it about? Like, um, Things could change a lot between okay. now and if, if I do publish it. Um, okay. But it, at the moment, it's uh, it's about, uh, the best way I can describe it is it's it's about, thing is if i if i describe what it's about it sounds very cliche but it's it's just i've taken a lot of tropes from from sci-fi fantasy and i'm kind of trying to put a little bit of a twist on them so it's uh generally it's just about a female it's i've got a female protagonist who overcomes uh her oppressive father who is a warmonger and uh and he's 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 very protective but he's wrong in his ways Okay. That's my. That, that's the best way I can describe it. I think at, at the at this point in time. Okay. I think. I mean, you know, everything needs a start, and yeah, no, I've 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 tried to write stories too, and you know, you go through a process, and as you as you go through life, you change, and so some of the ideas that you maybe came up with before are they're, maybe they're not as appealing anymore, or maybe you're not that person anymore, and so. So things do change. So, um, but I, damn, dude, that's awesome. Like, I wish you all the luck. And uh, if you, if you, if you want a beta reader, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out for you if you want. Um, especially, oh, thank you. I do appreciate especially that. Especially if you're only three thousand words in, that's easy. I can get through that yeah. real fast. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's only a few chapters. Um, but no, the best way I could describe it is 
I've thought about it now. The best way I could describe it is Rapunzel meets Harry Potter. No, okay. yeah, Rapunzel meets Harry Potter. Okay. That's the best way I'm going to describe it. All right, cool. All right. Okay, well, um, I just want to I just want to again uh, welcome you both back to the podcast. I love having you here. Also, this would be the first regular episode of the show that I've had more than one guest on at the same time. The first is one that Maynard has actually been in. It was it was like a spoiler filled reaction to <laughs> Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. And uh, and technically, I, I consider that like a bonus episode. Like if I ever decide to monetize the podcast, that would be one of the episodes that would go behind a paywall, which I don't see happening anytime soon, but you never know. But uh, for me, at least, this is pretty exciting. And again, thank you both for being here while we review and react to this movie. And speaking of things that need development... <clears throat> The Spidey Librarian Patreon gives listeners and viewers of the podcast access to my small but growing community as I keep creating content about our favorite wall crawler. There's currently just one tier, the $5 Spider Society Citizen tier, which will afford members shoutouts on the webline podcast and on my uploaded YouTube videos, access to the private patron feed featuring extra polls, behind-the-scenes posts, and media of me and my cat, Trouble, and a special role on the Spidey Librarian Discord server, Spider Society Citizen. More roles, perks, and possibilities will arise as we grow and diversify, including early access to videos, patron-only videos and streams, and appearances on live streams and the podcast. So join today and help grow our Spider Society Citizen tier into a full-blown Spider-Man community. I would also like to add especially for this episode, that I've recorded my first full-length movie reaction to The Amazing Spider-Man, which I watched in preparation for this episode. It is currently viewable exclusively through Patreon. I'm hoping to add to this with future movie reviews, so check it out when you can. Finally, the webline streams on Sundays at 2 p.m. Central Time on my YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe there as well as on your favorite podcast service and leave us a like, review, and follow where appropriate. If you're on a service that doesn't carry the web line, let me know by shooting me an email at spideylibrarian at gmail.com and I'll do what I can to get it pushed out to you. And finally, for those of you here on the live stream with us today, please be sure to thwip the like button and chime in with your perspectives in chat. But... Before we do a daring dive into our timely topic, it's time to dish on the latest spiderific developments with our knockout news segment, The Bugle News Flash. Only had a few items this week, but the first one I thought was really interesting. So Tony Todd was recently at a fan convention and he was the voice of Venom in Marvel's Spider-Man 2. He let it be known that apparently only about 10% of the dialogue that he recorded for Venom was actually used in Spider-Man 2. Some of the dialogue that was recorded or that was used in the game suggested that there was a Miles as Venom scenario that apparently was just dropped from the finished game. And 
that seems to be fueling speculation that they are saving all of that for either Venom DLC for the game or probably more likely a Venom spinoff game that they will develop and make into their own thing. I thought this was really exciting news. I was like, oh, really? There's going, hopefully there's going to be more. I I, I really hate the idea of like 90% of Tony Todd's voice work going on the cutting room floor. Uh, you guys have any thoughts about this? 90% of, uh, uh, that's a lot. That That is a lot to pay the professional to come in, do the work and not use it. Right. So... Yeah, and there, I, was, there was quite a bit of Venom content in that game, right, Lewis? Yeah, but yeah, no. Um, I, I, I was just like, I, I, okay, all right, I can stand to, I can stand to hear more of the Candyman as Venom. So you know, um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that means we will be getting new content with that material in it. So, well, I, I think it's about how are they gonna actually make a Venom spinoff game though? Because I've seen rumors about this, right? And there's, and there's. Mm -hmm. Insomniac have loosely teased it. Tony Todd um, has loosely teased it. We've got the the like you said the the cut dialogue and and the Miles idea that got dropped. It's all pointing towards obviously that being a a Venom spinoff game or some kind of Venom DLC or Venom content. How how are they going to make a Venom like how, I've always wondered how are they going to make a Venom game? I mean, they're they're certainly. I, I think I think narratively they laid a whole lot of clues. Um, you know the 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 little symbiote stone. You know they they kind of teased null through that. They could make a scenario, I guess, where he you know ends up trying to corrupt Miles. I, I don't know. There there are a lot of possibilities. Um, now making them good that will be the challenge. But I I feel like Insomniac has kind of shown eh, we 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 can do that. Uh, there was also the Carnage uh, side quest, so which I believe that was DLC, probably though, right? Well, we're assuming so. We're we're assuming so. At this point, we don't know anything for certain, but you know, I'm 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 pretty much down for. And Insomniac can make a Marvel game about Paste Pot Pete at this point, and I will probably play. It. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, yeah, yep, yep, definitely. So, the, um, the only thing for me is like the narrative, like like I said, narratively, narratively wise, like I'm. I'm a bit unsure as to how they are going to, how would you say, drive the story forward since Harry is obviously now in a coma. Do they introduce Eddie Brock and somehow give him the symbiote? What do they I do? Mean, I don't know. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's it is open ended in that case, but it's like the symbiote has already happened. You know, it's already symbiote city has already happened. Like, do they just do this? Like, if the symbiote goes on to someone else, is its goal still the same? Does he change? Like, I I find it really difficult for for it to go forward in a way in which it doesn't kind of result in the same thing. Like, if Venom shows back up, Peter and Miles are straight on the case. You know what I mean? So I'm right. I'm really interested to see how they develop that if that is the case. You know what I mean? So maybe he goes out to San Francisco and finds Eddie Brock. <laughs> possibly <laughs> which has actually happened in the comics like like venom was in san francisco and peter was you know across the country and they're like is venom in san francisco i should go to san francisco and it was it, i mean it was it was it was a little weird but it has happened so you know love those comics they were great i know i know they, they do anything they want and it's great speaking of the comics the gang war storyline has started with amazing spider-man gang war for strike number one this week and 
so far from what I have heard uh, from people that I trust, uh, my friend Dan Gavazdan over on the Amazing Spider Talk podcast, he says that I still think this has the potential to be like an overstuffed story that that will collapse under its own weight. But at least so far, the start has been strong. And so um, we've we've had these gang war storylines in Spider-Man in the past, and they tend to be of, I mean, they're varying quality, but overall, they're pretty decent. And apparently, uh, Spider-Man has pissed off a lot of his allies and is just in a terrible place right now um, for needing to reach out to other uh, superheroes to contain this thing. And apparently that extends to Miles, too. Apparently he has not been mentoring Miles for the last few months, which isn't his fault, but is also like Miles has just been going through a terrible time of it. And so them being buddy-buddy is is not in the cards at the moment. So I, I don't know much about this event. I haven't read it yet. Um Lewis, have you read it? You generally keep on top of this stuff. I um I unfortunately haven't. I okay. usually read them. I usually read the Spider-Man comics when they come out, but I, the last one I read was issue 36. Okay. And the reason I haven't read past issue 36 is because I'm currently working on a video about how I would take the Spider-Man comics and change them. So I didn't want to read any further ahead in case it influenced okay my video it's a pretty right. big video so i've been working on it since issue 36 came oh out. that that's, so, that sounds like a good reason actually it, it, yeah so i haven't read on yet um obviously once i've made the video i, I will read them but gang war has been coming for a while and it yes. kind of felt like to me another attempt at trying to win the fans over with something that just won't work miles for me i've seen the panel of him with peter and and the whole debacle they had um, about why Miles is annoyed at Peter. I don't know. It, it doesn't hold any weight for me because okay. the way that they handled Peter going missing in the first place was so poor. It, it, it kind of feels like it was a bit cheap. It wasn't like Peter actually did anything wrong because we were all questioning why MJ was mad at Peter back when the whole event happened. We were questioning right. why why the whole thing was happening in the first place. I think it was just very cheap. I don't, I don't know. It, it, it's, it doesn't sit well with me and and I, I haven't read, so I can't really comment any more than that. But um, okay, all right, Mina, you haven't happened to have read it, have you? I I'm not up to date on that okay. one at the moment. Sorry, that, that's a okay. That's a okay. Also, in the comics, they have just announced that um, Felicia Hardy and Mary Jane are teaming up yet again in a four-issue limited series called Jackpot and Black Cat that Marvel is going to be putting out in March of next year and um i don't know thoughts on this like mj and felicia team ups i i don't know i've i've read one or two of them i haven't been terribly impressed with them but like and and i haven't read anything since mj has apparently gotten her jackpot powers so i i don't know what to think of that um but apparently they are popular enough that they are getting a limited series so Anybody have any thoughts on it? I think that, first of all, I think the ones where they team up are generally fun. I mean, they're okay. not amazing storylines, but they're fun. Okay. And I think I mean, I that... Don't any, I don't have any particular criticisms for them. I guess they're just, for me, not mm, that memorable. And you would think they would be, you know? And um, I think that with the new power makes an interesting... makes another level of interesting 
comparison between the two. Right. As opposed to the powered and the unpowered. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be worth reading at least. All right. Lewis. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, head though. They're, they're generally fun. It's kind of like, you know, you sit down to watch a, a Dwayne Johnson and rock, uh, Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart film. Yeah, I mean, you know, when those guys, have you ever seen a film with those two, those two guys in it? It's generally a lot of fun. They tend to not be the greatest films, but they're, they're a good watch. You could just sit down, turn your brain off. That's kind of how I feel about the Mary Jane and Black Cat comics. They're generally not the best stories, but I love reading them because they're characters that uh, we've loved for years and years and years. And it's cool to see them team up. I've never been a fan though of MJ having powers. I don't think she needs them. I think she's a great character without them. I don't, I don't know why they gave her powers. I th- I think her character is a lot more interesting without them because it seems like Marvel likes to give a lot of people powers nowadays for no reason. But apart from that, I'm glad that they're utilizing them at least because she shows up <laughs> once every five issues in the Amazing Spider-Man comics now. So yeah, at least she's getting at least she's getting to utilize them and and what a way to do it. So yeah, I'll I'll definitely be excited to to read that because it's it'll be a lot of fun. Cool. All right. Finally, and this this might be the big piece of news for this week. So Tom Holland appears to be in discussions with Sony slash Disney about a fourth Spider-Man movie. And the kind of big takeaway from it seems to be that, yes, you know, he'd be insane not to make another Spider-Man movie, but he doesn't want to make a Spider-Man movie just for the sake of making one. He wants to make sure that it is very respectful to the character. He doesn't want to do it unless it's going. He, he says that he feels very protective of the character, which I mean, I can understand he's played him in now what six or seven different appearances. So, um, so this obviously is really exciting news because, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I want Tom Holland, uh, back for a fourth Spider-Man movie. What, what, what do you guys think? I think that he's given his age, the, the, the age that they've got Spider-Man at right now, he's younger than 21 which is how old Kate is. So I think that since they are very much looking at, they are clearly doing Young Avengers, I think they could, if they wanted to, slot Spidey into the Young Avengers that they're building. And Spider-Man 4 would be a good way to... I mean, he's lost his friends because they don't remember him. So, uh, I love that. That's great. That's amazing. <laughs> For those of you who are listening, I just held up a picture of that. I, that I got with Tom Holland a few years ago. I'm so jealous. Oh my God. That's incredible. <laughs> I love so it. yes, there, that's so cool. But yeah, what I'd love to see is him not necessarily maybe talking Spider-Man for, but also, they're clearly building to a young Avengers and he would not be out of place hanging out with the rest of the young Avengers. He wouldn't. And I wouldn't mind seeing that. I think I would prefer they pick up whatever storyline would have emerged with the symbiote from Eddie Brock uh, dropping Mm -hmm. off and being in this multiverse now. And the, the other thing that I would probably want to talk about is the fact that, yeah, Peter may be what, in the narrative, he's got to be, what, 18, 19 at this point? Something like that, yeah. 
Tom Holland is 25 at this point. And uh, he was he was like 21 a few years ago when I had my picture taken with him. So um, the actor is getting older. He still looks very young and everything. But like it, it's kind of one of those things I've always been interested about in media because I knew when they started making superhero movies, that was going to have to get addressed eventually because they can kind of keep their heroes as young or as elderly as they want them to be in the comics. But like when you're making movies, you're dealing with actors, you're dealing with actual human beings who age. And so I would like to see, I guess, if you think of the homecoming trilogy as like a high school trilogy, like I'd like to see kind of a college trilogy, I guess, you know, so, or a college age trilogy. I don't know. Definitely. Definitely. No, I I completely agree with that. And also I, I want to see, I want to see something different. Like, uh, I don't mind if John Watts comes back to direct, but I'd love to see um, a Spider-Man film uh, potentially with a new director, some new actors, maybe, you know, different characters. I, I-, I want Zendaya and-, and Jacob Batalon to come back to play Ned Leeds and, and MJ, but, uh, you know, I'd rather them introduce them slowly over a college trilogy, like you said, yeah. but I think M- MCU Spider-Man 4 is an opportunity, moreover than anything, to do something with this character. Um, I think that's why Tom is so protective over it because he knows how it ended in No Way Home was perfect for the characters that they built. It was perfect for the ending of that character specifically. Right. And I think going forward, you've got to be careful. Do you bring the old characters back or do you do new ones? What do you do? Where do you go with this character? And I think I appreciate that he's he's so wary about that. Um, but I, I think personally for me, it's a perfect opportunity and I hope he does it because I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I can't deal with another rebooted Spider-Man. I fell in love three times. <laughs> I, I can't do it a fourth. You know, Toby was perfect. Andrew is perfect, as we'll discuss today. And Tom, I love Tom Holland. Please make a fourth with Tom. Please, I love Tom Holland. Please, I, I, I do want, like, I do want Tom Holland to grow up in the Spider-Man role, like, because, like, they they tell a, they tell all of these stories where he's young. I would like to see some of the stories where like he's married, you know, mm-hmm. or, yeah. you know and, yeah. and, and I remember thinking this well before I was in my forties or anything, I wanted to see him do not just like some of the more kind of mature stories. I kind of wanted him to be in different situations. You know, it's kind of why I like the idea of like miles and silk and Gwen coming along and him being like, you know, Ted Lasso for them. He's like their coach, you know, and trying to mm-hmm. trying to help mold them and you know help help them win, you know, at superheroing. So I don't know. We may get it. We may not. It's all speculation at this point. But that news w- was exciting to read this week. I was like, okay, he's he's taken his year break, or at least he's gotten through a good chunk of it, you know, and and he's starting to talk about it. So that's extremely exciting for me. All right. Well, I think that's all the Spidey news for this week. Now, let's move on to our featured segment, a retro review of 2012's The Amazing Spider-Man. Woo! Let's go! The Amazing Spider-Man 2012. 
I'm going to talk just a little bit about a tiny bit of historical context, and then we're just going to move into it. So when Spider-Man 3 hit theaters in 2007, there were whispers of a fourth one on the horizon. Unfortunately, they were dashed when Sam Raimi walked away from Sony, which led to them rebooting the franchise with Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. When the film made its debut in theaters, it was on the heels of Marvel Studios' The Avengers and felt very different from the Raimi films. I feel like these two factors made a pretty big impact on how the movie was received, but there were definitely other developments at play and other issues, which we will discuss soon. Lewis, Maynard, what were your initial impressions of The Amazing Spider-Man? And we'll start with, we'll start with Lewis. Um, initial impressions. This was actually the first Spider-Man film I saw as a kid uh, in theaters. I was too young to see Toby in theaters. Um, but my first initial thoughts for, for this film was confusion. Not only because I was a 10-year-old kid and I didn't see Toby Maguire on the screen, but because, <laughs> well, because, <laughs> but because I don't know, it felt different. And you alluded to it that it was so different to the Tobey Maguire films and it was so different to the Marvel films coming out at that time. It was different and I didn't like it. I thought the suit didn't look anything like Spider-Man and, and I didn't really understand that that was because the tonality of the film was completely different in which I appreciate nowadays. But back then I thought, what is this? Why is it like, why is it so dark? Why is it, why is it almost, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's a bit weird and, but then later on in life, um, I've come to appreciate this film more. In fact, it's probably one of my favorite Spider-Man films um, of them all. Nice. Because as I've grown up, I've become more interested in 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 romance. And romance is a, is a big... I'm a big lover of romance in, in fiction. And that obviously, the amazing Spider-Man films especially, are very known for Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone's chemistry and... I'm sure you guys will talk on this as well. You know, it's a staple of these films and especially this one and the tonality fits. It works. The suit fits in the universe. And I kind of just, I kind of backtracked on everything that I'd first initially thought. And I, I went through this really deep understanding with this film and come to appreciate it for what it was. Very nice. I, I, I like that. Maynard? So, I mean, I actually liked it quite a lot when it first came out. But... On, on re-watching it, I think I realize... So, yeah, um, when it first came out, I liked it. The last Tobey Maguire film, um, I had not liked. And so I felt like this was a good return to... I felt like this was a better Spider-Man than, than the last Tobey one. Okay. So that had me in a, a much more positive frame of mind for it okay i remember feeling like it had been a lot of fun all right all right it's a movie that i feel is filled with contradictions both good and bad so it's definitely a spider-man movie that has its enjoyable points and it, it's a spider-man movie that kind of made me especially when i last watched it um just this week i was like why did they make that decision? 
And we'll get into all these in just a second. I think I think what I'm going to do now is we're going to move into just a quick plot summary and talk about that and some of the themes. So the basic plot of this movie is, of course, that Peter Parker gets bitten by a spider and gets spider powers. This spider, however, uh, it's an Oscorp spider, and he gets this spider bite by finding material that his dad had left and he got dr connor's name and dr connor's works at oscor so peter being the degenerate teen he is uh steals some poor intern's badge and <laughs> basically uses it to uh you know get into oscor's facilities and then finds his way to dr connor's along the way he gets bitten by the spider gains the powers and then has to basically figure out after meeting Dr. Connors and helping him with this equation that he had been working on with Peter's dad. Basically that equation helps him to figure out how to progress in the, in the work that they had been working on when his dad suddenly pulled up all of his roots and took his mom and just like left Peter with, with aunt May and uncle Ben in making that progress. Connors figures out that he can regrow his arm. He uses it on himself after the Patsy at Oscorp tells him they're going to shut down his project and starts to become the lizard. During all of this, Peter develops a relationship with his classmate, Gwen Stacy, and a fairly contentious one with her father, who is the uh, chief of police in their precinct or something to that effect. And what we get is Peter figuring out that Connors is the lizard, trying to get help from Captain Stacy about it and getting help from Gwen along with it all. During the fight, Captain Stacy is injured, a la, what is it, Amazing Spider-Man number 89, um, except, in, except in that comic, it was Doc Ock that had inadvertently killed Captain Stacy. And he basically tells Peter, you know, look, I get that you're helping, but you're going to make enemies. Leave Gwen out of it. And Peter looks like he's going to leave Gwen out of it until like the very closing seconds of the movie when it's like, yeah, maybe I won't. So that's kind of my recollection of it. Do you guys have anything that you would like to add to it? I think that's pretty much it, isn't it? Okay. All right. What were uh, what what were some of the some of the scenes, some of the themes, some of the parts of the movie that really stood out to to the two of you? To me, I think one of the things about this one and also the second one, both of the the Andrew Garfield films, is the scenes that I remember the most from them aren't necessarily the character driven moments or the acting moments. What I felt like these really, what stuck with me from these films are some of the visuals. Go on. The moment where all of the cranes turn in mm -hmm. so that he can use them to get to where all the lizards are on the tower. That is this film, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, I, I just watched this and everybody's kind of giving me this look. I'm like, did I watch the wrong movie? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, you're um, fine. We're just, yeah. we're just that moment intent, where all yeah. of the cranes turn in, and you know the crane operators are like, "We're going to help him," but just the visual of the cranes turning him and him using them as a, it looks like a comics panel. That is a fair point. 
And okay. it's a thing that they do several times in, in these films is it's not quite the moment where you have like in some films where they'll literally do a panel and they'll freeze frame on it for a oh, moment so that you can see it kind of become a panel. They never quite do that, but they still are very good. And it's clearly very intentional that they're framing a moment where you see the comic panel that this would be, but it keeps moving through uh, and being a movie. And so in many ways, I think these ones were very much deserving of the concept of a comic book movie, even more than more than some of the other ones, because I, I had that sensation a lot in watching this of going, oh, this is this is how that panel is constructed. So the the cinematography and the direction on these films really leans in on what does a comic book panel look like? How are they arranged? How are they, what's the visual structure? I definitely agree that that scene is, that, that particular visual that you mentioned is is very striking and very memorable. Visually, it looks fine. I do have issues with that scene narratively, but that's that's an entirely different uh, thing than what you're talking about. Lewis, what are what are some of your impressions of of the movie? What what sticks out for you? I'm going to be very basic and say the romance, um, only because okay. I love Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone, and I'm a big sucker for romance, so I I love romance stories. But I'm well, going to comment on the point about it being a comic book. I've never thought about it like that, but you know, now that I think about it, you are so right. You really are. So I did. When I was at university last year, I did a no, not last year. This year, was it last year? I don't. Was it? I think it was last year. Last year, I did a class on comic book films, comic book comic book adaptations, and we spoke about how in some comic book adaptations they tend to be more. Um, they try to emulate the panel the panels properly from a comic book um examples of it done very interestingly early on was ang lee's Holt 2003 and obviously a very later example of this was was um was into the spider-verse but they said generally that film kind of adapts comic book on its own medium where um where frames are given to you in a series of in a series of events however you can't control how fast the frames come to you whereas in a comic book you can and i think that's what's so interesting about the amazing spider-man is that the way that you said it like the the frames will continue but you see the shot form into a comic book like panel and i've never thought about it like that because linking back to what i learned last year it kind of makes sense they frame they knew that yeah, the audience is going to see this like a comic book frames are continuing to move as you would read through a comic book but we can frame it to where one of the shots will form into a panel. They will form into this, you know, this uh, double splash page or this or this close up of, you know, or the even the the one where Peter's fighting Lizard in the school and he does the the Spider Man pose. That is a mm -hmm. comic book shot if I've ever seen yes. one. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, you're totally right. I never thought about it like that, but it's so true. And um, yeah, you made me see the film in a little bit of a different light. There, I won't lie. That's a very very. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it was cool. It's, you're so right. Yeah, but that's that's amazing. Yeah, I I mean, honestly, for for my own part, the overall the, the kind of the overall impression that the movie leaves with me is this was fun. It, it's not without its issues, and just one example of that is Aunt May. Okay, 
are there really any memorable scenes with Aunt May in this one? Like, not really. Uh, no, I think so. The in the this is going to sound it's like really ironic because the second film is generally considered the worst, one of the worst Spider-Man films. A lot of people don't like that one. Yes, <laughs> but Aunt May is so much better in the second film. She's actually one of the highlights for me personally. Yeah, she has I just I just theme. remember I just remember like. I remember going, okay, all right, they've they've got they've got Martin Sheen as Uncle Ben, and like they they took a slightly different approach with Uncle Ben, and I'm like, okay, all right, it's a little bit jarring, but I can get behind it for the sake of them trying to do something different. But like, I felt like Aunt May in this movie was a prop, and I felt I felt like that was a terrible thing to do to Sally Field, who is an amazing actress, you know. And I and and I I guess I guess kind of overall, that's that's kind of one of the ways that I feel about this. Like they they nail it in some areas. And then there are other areas where like, what what are you doing, you know? And I will say, building on your comment, Lewis, about uh, liking the romance, uh, uh, any problems that I have with this movie have almost nothing to do with the acting itself. Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone are, I mean, fireworks in this movie. Like as soon as they start, as soon as they start talking, it's like, oh, he's so, he's so cutely awkward. Oh, she oh. is so cutely awkward, you know? Oh, and, and, and they, and <laughs> they really, I mean, like they, they really do a good job of selling it. Now, of course, as with apparently all Spider-Man love interest actor pairings, they started dating, you know? And for, I mean, they were dating for a while, if I remember correctly. Um, All they're, through they're, both films and quite a while after. Yeah, they, I mean, they're not together now, but they were together for a while. And so um, it's it, it, it's just kind of transferring the chemistry from real life into the, into the film. They did an excellent job of that. And, and again, I don't think there's any one actor that I have like issues with their performance. I mean, even, even the Patsy guy at, at Oscorp who was threatening to shut down Connors' work I mean, he, you know, he did a fine job. I hated him. You know, I was like, yeah, I hate you. I, I want to smack you. So he was doing a fine job with his role because that, that, that's, that's what, that what you're supposed to do. feel like about back here. Yeah. The Mesozoic Mind says that he is not the biggest fan on how they handled the lizard. And actually, I kind of want to build on that. And maybe this is just me being superficial here. But man, I hated the way the lizard looked in this movie. I really wanted to see like a freaking miniature dragon or or I, I wanted I wanted the snout to be longer. He looked too human, I guess for me. I I, I don't know. But I really wish like it, there are certain comic panels that I really wish they had emulated in terms of his look. And and I don't know. You know, love the character, at least the character concept. I didn't care for how they they carried him off in this one. So I don't know. What, what, what do you guys think? You're free to disagree with me. I, I, I promise. I mean, <laughs> I think what they were going for was the, I think the reason they left him a little bit more human is they were trying to lean in on, they wanted us to hit Uncanny Valley. They wanted us to have the creep factor of it's human, but not. And I don't think they landed where they wanted to. And the other thing is they also wanted to preserve the ability to do expressions. And given the, where we were at with CGI in 2012, to get really 
good expressions at the budget that they were working on, you still needed slightly more human to put the animation on to. That's fair. That's um, fair. I mean, even if you look at the change, you know, a few years later, Guardians of the Galaxy, if you look at the changes in how expressive Groot is over the course of those films, you can see, and that is a fairly human-based face to a lot yes. of extents, but you can see how our ability to map expressions onto less and less of a human undertone has grown. So I think part of it was they were trying to keep the ability of the actor to emote. That's a good point. That's a, that's a good point that I'm willing to acknowledge. All right, let's get into let's get into character analyses. Let's start with Peter Parker. Let's start with with Andrew Garfield. What did you guys think of Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker? What did you like most about it? What did you What did you think could have been changed? Maynard? He's just a little <laughs> bit too smooth. That was my biggest issue with. He's just too cool. Andrew Garfield just can't tone down. He he goes for a dorkable. And and he sometimes he, it lands. And sometimes it lands on a dorkable, but a lot of the time he's just that was always my one a complaint with him as Spider-Man is he was just a little bit too smooth. He was okay. just just a little bit too cool. All right, Lewis. Uh I love Andrew Garfield. <laughs> yeah, they make me love him so much. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I get I get that. He he um I never, I never really had that same issue with him. I see why people think that. I, I, hundred percent can see where people have that issue, um, especially coming off the back of the Tobey Maguire movies, as well. You know, it's it's yeah. like night and day, isn't it? Yeah, like night and day. Yeah. But I never saw that as an issue because Andrew Garfield's version of the character, or the whole, the whole movie really was largely very very largely based off the ultimate spider-man comics for uh, by oh, benders and magley absolutely mm -hmm. yes um and you read the ultimate comics and you notice um that andrew's peter is a lot like ultimate comics peter ultimate comics peter is a bit of a dick he's witty he's got comebacks he gets bullied by flash mm -hmm. but um but but he's you know he's still got all those peter parker traits you know he's he's picked on he's he's the nerd but he's he's not afraid to give someone you know hand it back to someone if he if he has to and and he's and he is smooth as well he's smooth with he's smooth with uh with with mj with gwen with with you know all, all the you know he's he is proper like he's a proper like i don't know how to describe him you know he's he's that type of guy especially when he first gets his powers with sally avril i believe the character was he ends up he ends up like you know almost you know well doing censored stuff with her that comics can't that <laughs> comics can't display but i think it was implied right. it was implied that it was going that way so yeah it, andrew is very largely i think based off ultimate peter which is why i never had a problem with it because i love ultimate peter but i can see totally why people would you know, it's like night and day from the Toby movies and some of the other adaptations of Spider-Man. So, I mean, I'm I'm pretty much thinking that like when when I was watching my when I was when I was doing my uh, reaction and and just watching the movie, that was that was that was one of the points that I absolutely made. Well, I made both of your points at, at one point or another. That yes, he absolutely is based on Ultimate Comics Peter, and then 
to Maynard's point, yeah, he's too cool. <laughs> um, and I don't think it helps. I do not think it helps that Andrew Garfield is playing him because I'm not afraid to say it. That is a gorgeous man. Okay. He's too hot. He's too hot. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. He's gorgeous. Come on. Yes. Let's not beat around the bush. This yes. man is so hot. And and oh it, and, and it's just like it's just like, okay, he's cool. Like he's super cool and he's also hot. Okay. Yeah. How are you supposed to resist that? How how how's this guy an outcast? You know? Yeah. Um, he skateboards, you know, he 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 he's really good with the photography. He's got he's got girls asking him to do uh, photo work for their boyfriends or something. You know, yeah. Like like he's just got so much going on that I you know it's very easy for me to go. Oh yeah, no, he's he's he he has got way too much going on for him to be like a real outcast. You know. Yeah, he should be and, like one of the most popular guys in that school. Yeah, but but I mean, to, my to high school coach. Yeah, but but to Lewis's point, I mean that Peter Parker from Ultimate Spider-Man is very different from the Earth Six Sixteen one in the sense that, I mean, Earth Six Sixteen Peter was kind of a dick when he was that age too, but he was a lot more of a wallflower. He was a lot more, uh, he 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 was a big nerd with you know with the glasses and everything. And I think I remember reading, um, it it might be in one of my comics that I have, one of the graphic novel trades that I have where. Uh, they had notes about how they made Peter in Ultimate Spider-Man. And, you know, one of them was he's a, he's a geek or a nerd or a dweeb or whatever you want to call it, but he's also really cute. And the cute was put in caps, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they, they were, uh, you know, they were definitely, they were very deliberate in making a very specific type of Peter Parker. And it can you could easily argue that yeah andrew garfield knocks it out he's just too good looking you know yeah. <laughs> ugly him up a little bit i don't know now what uh what, what do we think of the spider-man i i for one i for one really liked the spider snark that he had he was really good at cutting his enemies down verbally you know probably my favorite thing about andrew garfield spider-man even a, even more than the cinematography, is that he is so quippy. He really nails that Spider-Man quippiness. I agree. I agree. Lewis? My weakness, small knives. Yeah, no, he's, <laughs> yes. he's great. He's great. I love him. No, he's he's amazing. Unironically. Or ironically. <laughs> he's, he's great. No, yeah, no, he is. Andrew Garfield is Spider-Man. Um, just, you know, I, I love him. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, I feel like, I, I, I think I've said this before, if I have issues with this movie, it's not the acting. If anything, I'm going to jump ahead to No Way Home for a second here. But if anything, No Way Home showed me just how much more I would have absolutely adored Andrew Garfield if he had given, if he had been given better material to work with. The, the whole, like, your parents are secret agents thing was just, like, like and, and in this movie, I think it's only, you only see that at the beginning, and then you, it gets brought up occasionally with Connors and stuff like that, but it's, it's, it's there, and I was, I, I was always fascinated, not, not necessarily in a good way, at Sony's decision to really kind of, like, spin this element so prominently into the narrative, um, mm -hmm. because, Really, when it when you come down to it, at, 
um, Peter's parents really are Uncle Ben and Aunt May. Yeah. And I really appreciated, this is, this is one of the things the movie does really well, I really appreciated when Peter actually tells Ben, you're, you're a good dad. Like, he actually gets to say that to him in this movie whereas toby and mcguire never had that opportunity you know yeah. like they 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 parted kind of badly you know and this peter and uncle ben kind of part badly too but at least peter was given that opportunity to say you know hey you're a good dad and i appreciate what you do for me i really am happy that that one of these movies included a scene like that i think it, it includes that scene but at the same time like making his parents so prominent in a way that they they usually aren't and then you know in giving aunt may and uncle ben both this whole like we, it introduces because it it not only puts them narratively prominent it also character wise introduces a level of anxiety in May and Ben both of the whole like we know we're not your real parents kind of thing and you know the resentment of his parents for leaving him in a way that usually isn't an aspect uh it, it's it's not something that I usually associate with a Spider-Man story like mm -hmm. anxiety over his his birth parents usually isn't a big deal and so right. It, it was definitely a very different take. And it, especially for me as an adopted kid, it felt a little weird, I guess. Weird how? Too much and not enough at the same time. Okay. In terms of, you know, processing his connection to May versus his, this, of course this is a kid who knew his parents and they just disappeared which is different but yeah there was that whole element just rang emotionally odd to me all right okay lewis i'm not generally a fan of peter's parents being used um as a story device in spider-man media however in the amazing spider-man i think it fits with the tonality of the film. In most cases, Peter's parents are vacant from when he's very, very young. In this case, it was when he was like 10, I think, mm -hmm. or eight, 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 was it eight years old, eight to nine, 10, whatever he, it was. He had to be like eight, he something was, like yeah. that. Yeah. He, he would have been able, he would have been able to remember them. Yeah. I think it worked well because the whole obsession over Peter's parents and that plot, trying to find out what, richard parker was up to what you know who mary parker was whatever you know the whole unlinking it to the oscorp stuff i think it works in a sense that you'd you'd assume that peter would want to uncover who his parents are when he's lost them at an age where he could remember them like if this was a peter parker who lost his parents when he was one or two years old he wouldn't he i don't think he'd care i think he'd probably see richard parker the same way he sees norman osborne in this film or dr connor's he'd see them as someone that you know doesn't really you know he's that they're that they were just someone that worked at oscorp right. um which because obviously they changed the story in this way i think it works on a narrative level of including them you know making them relevant in in the modern in the you know when peter's in high school i think i think it does work and also i want to point out obviously i don't want to jump 
to the Amazing Spider-Man two because we want to focus on this film. But there's a really nice scene where um, I think a lot of the problems with Aunt May in this film are fixed. Where she's with Peter in his bedroom and she says, and she, she's kind of breaking down because Peter's still obsessively trying to figure out what his father was doing, continuing right. the same story. And Aunt May's like, "No, no, you're my boy. You're my boy. You remember I brought you up. You're my boy." And it's this really nice moment because it's like, yeah, Aunt May is his mother. Yeah, like, really, she is, a a and she's and she's letting him know, like, you can move on. And I think that was a really nice scene because that's kind of how you know what she was trying to express during this film and trying to you know make sure protect him um, mm -hmm. from his father's secrets. But I do think it works. I think it does. Work. It's one of these. Uh, if it wasn't for the um, the whole chosen one storyline that they decided to do with the Oscorp stuff, I think the Richard Parker and his Peter's parents plot works quite well on a on an, an emotional level i think generally okay it worked for me all right okay excellent excellent uh let's move on to uh let's, let's move on to gwen stacy let's move on to emma stone and uh i'm i'm just i'm just gonna say when i first found out that they were going to do a spider-man movie that actually featured gwen stacy i was like i was like oh thank god and then i was like oh oh you know, <laughs> because it's like, you know, unfortunately, I, 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 you can argue that it's changing now, but you could also argue that Spider-Gwen is a completely different character, too. Um, but you, you can't argue that she comes from that iteration of Gwen Stacy. If you didn't have that iteration of Gwen Stacy, you would not have Spider-Gwen. However, it's like that Gwen Stacy... Mm, people know what's going to happen with her. Yeah. And I think nothing would have gratified me more than, and again, I guess I'm touching on Amazing 2 here, but nothing would have gratified me more if they had found a way to subvert that or invert it or just change it in a way that worked. But the problem with doing that is that we've we've got this mythology of Spider-Man that is built up that is just it revolves around this so strongly the comics iteration that it 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 would have it would have gotten so much pushback no matter what if they had changed it. Gwen Stacy, unfortunately, for better or for worse, is fated to die in these movies. And with that said, when they when they cast Emma Stone, I was like, oh, that's a good cast. And I'm like, wow, she 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 will be a she will be a memorable lost love for Peter. Like I, I do remember thinking that at one point. But god damn, she's adorable. Like <laughs> like when she is when she is crushing on Peter, one, I mean, we 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 made we made talk about how like smooth Andrew Garfield is, you know. Girl was pretty damn smooth with him though too. She she like I think at one point when he was like in trouble, and uh, you know his uncle Ben was yelling at him and like he he, he was not looking good, and she just kind of comes up to him and is like, "You uh you, you like Branzino? You 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 want to come and have Branzino tonight?" And <laughs> it was just like, it's like okay, girl, that that. Damn that that was <laughs> I, I I hardly noticed that that was really well done. I don't know. They're both adorable. They are both ridiculously again. I I, I feel like the chemistry between them is so much better than Maguire Dunst um, in in the in the Raimi films. But like 
you know, she is she is very clearly a memorable figure. I like that she had this kind of little competition with Peter. She's like, oh, yeah, no, you're not the valedictorian. You're the salutatorian. You know, she's like, no, no, I'm, I'm better than you. I'm 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 right tired. You know, it was it was her way. It was it, I felt like her way of being his equal, even if she didn't have spider powers. You know, so mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think of her? I mean, I, I I loved her. So I think you can definitely see the seeds of spider. Like you said earlier, you can see that that how she how this person with different events in her life could have become Spider Gwen. Mm-hmm. Like you can see the the strength in her, the heroicism in her, that she has that capability. And yeah, she does. She's so smooth with him too. And she's got a strength to her that I really appreciated. Yeah. Lewis? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, you actually bring up a very interesting point about um about the whole Gwen Stacy subverting expectation situation that they had to handle because this is something I pondered for a while and I made a video on it not too long ago. Um, but it's been something that I've been discussing with many fans, um, of Spider-Man for a while, you know, but people always have different takes on it. But generally what I see is like, you can't, if you're going to do Gwen Stacy, you can't not kill her in some form or another you can write her out of the story kind of like how they did in spider-man life story or you can you know you can move her to a different you can move her to a different part of the country or something like that but it never works as well as if you kill her because the idea that peter parker has lost his first love his true love and yeah mary jane goes on to be a soulmate or however you want to consider that relationship but it's like there's always that regret and that regret and and his actions going forward, how he treats his relationship with Mary Jane and how he treats his relationship with other characters is so informed by the death of Gwen Stacy that you can't leave it out. You have to kill her. You have to kill her for Peter's sake and for Gwen's sake. <laughs> and it's always been this, it's always been this part of the story that is so annoying because Gwen dying and, and the whole fate and the tragedy is such a good idea. And it's so sad, but everyone can see it coming. And I think this is exactly why Spider-Gwen was born. Because they needed to do Gwen Stacy in a different enough way to where she doesn't die. And you know what's crazy to me? You know what? I think it's mental. They even alluded to Spider-Gwen dying in Across the Spider-Verse. There was that, like, scene where Spider-Gwen's like, doesn't always work out for me. It's like, you're not foreshadowing you're going to die too, are you? Come on. You just give me a version of Gwen that isn't going to die and you're going to kill her too? I mean, I I got the impression that it doesn't always work out for me was her acknowledging that in every other universe, in every universe where she isn't Spider-Gwen, she's Gwen Stacy. And in every universe where she's Gwen Stacy, her ass dies. (laughs) Like if she doesn't get the spider powers, only she or Peter can live. They can't both be alive in, in, in any given universe. That's a good way of putting it, actually. Do you think there could exist a multiverse where that could actually happen? Actually, no, I guess one does exist. One does exist. What's that? Uh, The House of M. Ah. House of M. What mainstream, mainstream universe? Basically, basically, they need Wanda. 
a a main a mainstream. Okay, is there is there a mainstream universe where they both coexist? No. Like a, like an ultimate no. universe or a six no. and six or a, a Garfield no. universe or a MCU. But, but or... I, I guess I guess what I'm getting at is that could there be one? You know, I'm if, thinking that if there the... could. I'm I'm just thinking that it's not something that would easily be attained. If there's Spider Gwen I mean, and you know. Spider Man in the same universe, then yeah, I think so. Um, multiverse, I guess. <laughs> if if they're if they're Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy in the same universe, then yes, but that wouldn't be a very interesting story, would it? So if it's if they're both Spider Man and Spider Gwen, then I think possibly because then it's kind of like have you ever have you guys ever seen the Marvel Spider Man cartoon, the one that came out in twenty seventeen? Um, I think it, I've watched one or two episodes. I haven't been very impressed with it. Yeah, so it's basically just um. It's basically just a show tailored at teaming all the spider people up. It's got Peter, Miles, Gwen, Anya right. Corazon. There might be someone else in there. Uh, but essentially, it's all, all the spider people in there. And they all coexist together at the same time right. as yes. high school students. Yes. You know, they could do something like that. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't the most popular idea um, think, on the fans, but... I think in a world where they both survive, where she becomes Spider-Gwen... Peter ultimately is a very different person. Oh yeah, um, I can totally see yeah. that. Because yeah. he's somebody who, you know, he has the love of his life crime fighting behind beside him. So he's not the, you know, he does he has there's still the Uncle Ben tragedy, but without her tragedy, I think he's much more open to other people. I think he has that level of, I, I don't think he has that level of fear about everyone, that anxiety. He's basically Pav from uh, Across yes. the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, and, 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 and it's, funny. It, it, it's funny too, because like when Miles jumps in to save him, you know, and, and, and essentially succeeds at doing that, I remember thinking this is Miles protecting, protecting the kid in a lot of ways, like protecting mm -hmm. that that version of Peter or, or Spider-Man or whoever, like, you know, fr from having to, to deal with that and, yeah. and whether, whether or not that's a good thing is up for debate, I suppose, but mm -hmm. it was nice to see it happen. So no, yeah. It's, the thing is, it's like a big part of the appeal of the Spider-Man character is, um, is what he can lose. Yeah. And, and Gwen's death represents that a big part of, who peter is is like you know his relationship with mary jane after gwen dies is like you know let's not screw this up twice sort of thing you know what i mean right he's, yes he has a he has a responsibility to protect mary jane he has a responsibility to protect his friends uh his his loved ones his you know people close to him if gwen's a superhero alongside him or because or you know let's just assume it's not gwen from the multiverse because that's a different story because that's not his gwen let's just say his gwen becomes spider gwen Mm -hmm. it, it, it nullifies a little bit about the whole Uncle Ben story and who Spider-Man is as a character. And and it's, the same would go for Gwen, you know, on her universe, if Peter ended up becoming Spider-Man, it's it's the same sort of thing. Like Peter Parker dying in Gwen's universe when she becomes Spider-Gwen is a big part of what makes her Spider-Gwen. So it works in reverse as well. I think you, yeah. you can't have you can't have you can't have one be alive without the other one dying. Uh, you know, it, right. It does. I don't think they can coexist unless the multiverse, you know, affects. enables it. Yeah, yeah, yeah because otherwise it, yeah. they'll they'll be completely different. They'll be much less. And it's interesting because we talk about Gwen Stacy, Uncle Ben, and 
Bucky Barnes, the three deaths that can't be undone. And then we then they undid two of them in various ways. I mean, counting multiverse, they've done it with Uncle Ben too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're, they're trying really hard to undo Gwen Stacy. I think Uncle Ben too Uncle Ben's too far gone. But in the in the in the 616 universe, they're trying so hard to undo Gwen Stacy's death. You can tell around every every major story that's based off some kind of tragedy happening to Peter and him revisiting mm -hmm. memories is always Gwen Stacy. They're always trying to bring it back, loop it back right. around. And I'm getting terrified that one day they just they just say screw it and do it. They tried to do it with the clone saga back in the day. Luckily they didn't go through with it. They just they just brought Gwen Stacy back for Judgment Day in Zeb Wells's run in Amazing Spider-Man. Don't know if you guys are familiar with Judgment Day. Uh, uh, not that one, no. It's basically the uh, people get judged. Uh, basically, a, a being comes to Earth, and all the heroes are judged on um, their like moral compass. And if you know, like fifty percent of them are swayed one way, then the planet gets destroyed. But essentially, oh. it's how it's like how you would react to past trauma or something along those lines. I only read the Spider-Man one, so I, I have a oh. limited understanding of. But basically, Peter sees Gwen, and Gwen Stacy's in, and then and then there's one moment where where Gwen comes back for a few seconds. She gets she gets reborn for a, a good 10 seconds and Peter shares a moment with her and then she dies again. And I'm just like, oh no, no, please stop. You're getting too close. I'm, I'm, I'm not, like yeah, I'm not too crazy about this. The way you're, the way you're uh, framing it. I'm like, what? Come on. It was written pretty well, but it-, it Really? It, okay. It, it explored, it explored the trauma and Peter's effect and Peter's re reaction to it pretty well. But mm -hmm. I can't. The, my only issue with it is that we've seen it a million times. Every single Spider-Man writer has tried, yeah, tried at some point to you know lie on that Gwen Stacy track. It's like move on, just come on, let's, let's do something else. Let's talk about the villain. Let's talk about uh, Kurt Connors, the Lizard. I, I I mentioned earlier I I didn't care with how they did up his appearance, and and you guys you guys gave some good responses to that. Um, what do we think of just like Kurt Connors himself? What what, what do we think of and I'm probably going to mispronounce it again. Rise Ethan's performance as that character. Okay, I guess I'll go first. Um, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, and I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking to denigrate anyone here, but I will say he was perfectly fine, but it wasn't particularly memorable for me. I mean, I felt like there were a lot of beats that he had that he handled the way they were supposed to be handled. Oh gosh, I found a cure or a possible cure. That's really exciting. Oh God, do I try this on myself? A la the Green Goblin, you know, when they when they threatened to cut my funding. I think the one issue that I had with him, and he was in his lizard form at this point, is when he was taunting Peter Parker. You know, he's like, poor Peter Parker, no parent, you know. And it, it was like he was trying to do a really slow tongue twister or something. And I'm like, Dude, one, you're just being a dick. And then two, what's with the alliteration here, you know? Aside from that, though, like, overall, when I think the lizard, that to me is supposed to be a very unforgettable villain, you know? And and during the fight sequences, he was, he was a very valid threat to Peter. But Connors himself, I was just kind of like, eh, okay, he's there. And that's, you know, really kind of all I thought of him. I have a lot more sympathy for Dr. Connors in the comics. 
in the sense that I remember and care for this person like as a character. I had a hard time really getting that from this actor who wasn't doing anything wrong. He just didn't really like, I didn't really latch on to him. They didn't give us a lot of bonding beats of them yeah. being friends before. I mean, we got a little bit, but it didn't, it didn't yeah. play very deeply before and I, and, we yeah, started and, getting him being the lizard. Yes. And, and I lay that squarely at the feet of Sony. I don't, mm -hmm. I, I'm not, I'm, oh, not yeah. saying, I'm not saying that was the actor's fault or anything. That was, that was squarely Sony's bad in my opinion, but yeah, no, um, he just, he, he, I guess part of it is that he just didn't have much to do. Yeah. We didn't get a lot of character beats from him. We didn't get a lot of emotional bonding and really there's been this trend and Maybe this is just Spider-Man villains, but so many Spider-Man villains have like run off the second evil voice taking over. That's yeah. just like, like uh, Green Goblin, yeah. the Lizard, Doc Ock, Electro, just over and over and over again. The Venom, really. Uh, Venom is like the physicalized version of the evil voice. Right, yeah, they designed it that way, yeah. But that is that is what a Spider-Man villain is, is somebody who was a, a good person who is exposed to power, gains a power, and lets the evil voice of the power take over. Right. Which is what puts them in, in contrast to Spider-Man who gains the power and doesn't let the evil voice take over, but doesn't really... Ha until Venom doesn't really have an evil voice that he's contending with. I His mean, power doesn't, it came with temptation, but it doesn't come with the evil voice. That's something that I've kind of thought about, but I haven't made the connection all throughout, but it's, it's compelling. I mean, there are some exceptions, of course. There's Sandman. There's, yeah. there's comic book Doc Ock, who was just a jerk from the get-go. Mm -hmm. um, and um, there's Mysterio, I guess. You know, there, there, there are exceptions, but it is a very common through line that really, yeah, it's, it's like, wow, that, mm, that, that kind of smarts to hear, you know? <laughs> no, I never thought about it like that. You're very right. Um, I just, just never, never really thought about that. Note to self, if you ever write a Spider-Man story, don't do evil voice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think the, the whole, I think definitely in this film, it, Peter Parker's internal evil voice wasn't um, wasn't pronounced very well, I don't think. But I think in the comics, I think now that you mention it, that is something they do in the comics, or at least they try to do, because they do. They have a lot of Peter Parker narrates his own stories a lot of the time, doesn't he? With the with the captions, yeah, 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 he does. Um, and I think because there's a lot of those where you know you're reading a Spider-Man book and he's like, I could just I could just kill this guy and everything would be fine, or I could just not do this crime and everything or go save this person and everything would be fine i could just go and see gwen uh, but you know then this person would die and it's like he is battling with the idea that he could genuinely just get his own way yeah but he never has i mean most of the time he, i feel like he has more uncertain voice than evil voice or maybe yeah. slightly selfish voice than actively evil voice like and that's that's kind of like, like, like a devil on your shoulder type of yeah thing. he never but he never goes like i could turn the whole city into spider people 
for whatever. Yeah, that's true. No, so I guess I guess in that sense, it's more like you're saying there's 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 a separate entity almost communicating with um, the villains, and in a sense, like it's like in Spider-Man Two, for example, with Doc Ock, it's like Doc the arms are like talking to him in in a way, even though it's even though it's his own, it's it's even though it's him talking to himself, we perceive it as the arms talking to. Otto Octavius directly. Well, there is an there is an AI running the arms. Yeah. 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 And then if you go back to like the like Willem Dafoe's absolutely brilliant Green Goblin. Oh yeah. Clearly a separate voice. Oh yeah. Clearly a separate voice. And with Connors, you don't get as much of the like the lizard voice as a separate, but he. Oh, it's there. You really do have. (laughs) You don't get as much of it. It's not as as done, yeah, as in some of the others. But it's definitely there. Yeah. It, Dur- it, dur- during my reaction, I was I was like, oh god, oh god, it's Willem Dafoe over again. You know. Yeah. yeah. It's the same. It's the same structure, but I don't think. And this isn't to give Reese a heart, you know, to say anything against Reese's performance. Willem Dafoe was like that was a high freaking bar. Yeah, for yeah. that particular character breakdown, but I do feel like it it was too close. Like it's they, hard when you live. Yeah, yeah. They it they is. saw this thing worked really well in the last Spider Man, so we're going to do it again. But they had a high bar to clear, and they didn't quite clear it. No, no, they yeah. didn't. But you it's know, hard yeah. when Willem Dafoe is one of the best actors to have ever lived as well. You know, yeah, what I mean? he's like, so good, and and you're yes, living yes. up against that. He did that, like, he's a great actor, and he's done many award-winning, wonderful, great films. I still think that was one of his finest tours of acting. Mm, yeah. I, I, I cannot I cannot wait to get into uh, No Way Home, but that unfortunately, that's a ways down the line. But, yeah. But yes, that, that will be an excellent discussion to have. Uh, last two characters. Let's talk about Aunt May and Uncle Ben a little bit. Now, I've I've pretty much said what I think about Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Like, I felt like I felt like Martin Sheen. You know, they did a different take with Uncle Ben. It was it was it was good. It was memorable. I can understand why some people might have had issues with it, but overall, I, I liked him. I thought he was a decent on-screen representation of that character um, with just a little bit of a, of a twist to him. Again, Aunt May, I just felt like she was a prop in this movie. And I was like, why did you hire Sally Field to play this character if you're going to have her do almost nothing? And overall, like, I, I guess I kind of like the scene where she was arguing with Ben a little bit to tell him, hey, you know, stop blaming him and, you know, stuff like that. But like, I just wish she had been given more. Overall, I mean, I like those characters, which is why I wanted more from Aunt May. What did you guys think of them? One of my first thoughts was that more than every other iteration of screen Ben and Aunt May, these people were from New York. Okay. All right. Um, They were the most clearly working class not just that they didn't have money but that they worked and that the amount of work that they had to do really told on them all right you know they worked in they worked in factories and i think that how their emotion came across was a was partially 
leaning on that more both working class and northern stereotypes of stoicism. Okay. Yeah, get those dumb bowling trophies off the table. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but I agree that they definitely didn't do nearly as much with Aunt May as they could have, and clearly could have because they did do in the next one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I love Sally Field. I've seen mm -hmm. her in some very good stuff. Unfortunately, I can't claim that this is one of those. Th this movie was one of those for her. And I'll probably be singing a different tune in, for the next one. But at least, you know, this one here, I was just like, you know, why? <laughs> so, all right. Um, do we have anything else we want to say about any of the other characters in the movie or any of these that we didn't get to? I will just say one on on Uncle Ben in this movie. Uh-huh. I much prefer this Uncle Ben to the Raimi one. Okay. Uh, much, much prefer. Um, and why is that? Linking back to the connection to Ultimate Spider-Man, mm -hmm. you could very much feel like this was... In the same way that Peter was a very big adaptation of that character from the Ultimate Universe, you could definitely feel the tonality that they brought with Peter, they brought from Ben also because Ben in the ultimate comics is a lot more, is a lot more um, like in, in the Raimi films. He's classic old wise man tells Peter. Yes. Do, do, do this thing. And then you will success in life. This uncle Ben was a lot more, I felt a lot, a lot more relatable and especially on, on Peter's sense. Like I could feel like I, I, I could get, I could get the sense that this guy could be my dad. You know what I mean? Like he, like he's, 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 he's relatable. Yeah, I think the chemistry Sheen and Garfield have had, especially in a few scenes towards the start of the movie, really cemented this for me. But he also gets killed off a lot later in this movie than he does in the Raymond movies, or at least he has a lot more screen time before his death happens. Yeah, he does. And I thought I I I like that more because I think it makes you feel more for for Ben and the that and we know the death is coming, but I think it gives the death more impact instead of just oh he's dead now let's move on. Well, and it wasn't like that for the Raymond movies at all. I, I won't you know it was a very impactful death there, but. I think I, I really liked how they handled Uncle Ben. I think he was great. I think if you think of, you know, Raimi, Uncle Ben um, as an analog to the comics, you know, we're like in the comics, Ben is generally, generally venerated. You know, he's, 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 he's a saintly man, can do no wrong kind of thing. And I feel like they kind of did that with the Raimi version of him. And then when you get to the ultimate comics and in this one, where I feel like, you know, Charlie or Martin Sheen is more of a, analog of you know the ultimate one like i mean one to your point that uncle ben i think is around for a good what five issues five or six issues oh before, yeah you know yeah, so yeah, yeah. Like, you know and you, you see him protecting peter you see him arguing with peter you see you, you know there is more of that you know yeah this guy feels a bit more real a bit more lived in whereas like again the uncle ben from 616 killed off panel in the first story and you know the 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 power and responsibility thing like that's that's what rings in people's ears about uncle ben so no you i, I think you make a very good point about that now, the best way that i could describe it i think is that uncle ben no doubtedly is one of the most important characters in comic book history however i think the ultimate comics show us why he was because hmm. they took the idea of uncle ben they took the idea of Uncle Ben that has been built up since the 60s and then they gave us, like you said, four, five, six issues, however many issues it was before he died. 
and they showed us why. They showed us what he meant to Peter. What he meant. They didn't just tell us what he meant to Peter. They showed right. us what he meant to Peter. Right. And that's why I like the ultimate. This is one of the reasons why the ultimate comics is some of my favorite comics ever made. Ever made. One of the reasons why. I, I may I may have to pull those issues out and reread them in the in the near future because I, I I think I I think I agree with you. So Spider Man, right. the only thing Ultimates did right. <laughs> uh, well. Hey, as long as they've got my boy, uh, you know, I couldn't care less about any of the others. <laughs> as a Tony Stark fan, I have rather different feelings about Ultimate. Oh, I'll bet you do. I bet you do. Oh. Well, you know, we got we got the new Ultimate comics coming. I mean, maybe we, we, we got the 2024 Ultimate comics launches. I think Ultimate Universe number one is already out. I don't. I haven't read it yet, but no, hopefully it, Tony as Stark. As far as I know, is it out? I, I think it's out, isn't it? Or is yeah. it not out yet? Okay, well, I'm going to have to scurry over to my comic shop now. I'll see you guys later. Um, <laughs> and, then as, and then I'll also say, also as a fan of Wanda and Peter, I really... <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. No. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about <laughs> that. No, we don't talk about that. We don't yes, talk about that. Yes. I thought you'd never read an X-Men comic. <laughs> um, no, I, I've heard about this one. This one's infamous. <laughs> this one's infamous. I don't read X-Men for this reason. Okay, this is, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. But it this was, is not yeah. a normal X-Men thing. Okay. No. No, there really isn't. No. There I'm really actually isn't. planning to read X-Men number one in this Ultimate Universe, though, because okay. it's a fresh start. Because obviously it's new stories, and I, I've always wanted to get into more Marvel comics and stuff, but I've never really known where to jump on with other characters, because Spider-Man, I kind of know the ins and outs, and you, you know where to start if you're a Spider-Man fan. And I guess you guys are like that with other characters. Um, But this, this new Ultimate Universe is honestly a godsend, because I can start black panther avengers fresh. and x-men x-men yeah. and I, you know yeah. so i'm i'm really i'm really excited actually i'm gonna gonna okay. read all the series that come out so let's uh let's talk about uh cinematography and special effects in the movie um uh Maynard has had a lot of positive things to say about the cinematography i don't really have issues with the cinematography itself my issue is the coloring i have such issues with the coloring here i feel like the movie is I feel like the movie is shot in one of those bars or taverns that you go into where the lighting is really dim intentionally. And so you just have a difficult time seeing things. And I feel like that, I mean, that, that was definitely done deliberately, but when you compare it to something like the Raimi movies where everything is popping a little bit more, it's very clearly a comic book movie, you know, or, tr you know, at least trying to be, I, I, I just feel like, for my viewing experience, I, I just felt like at times, like, like, why is this so muted? Why is this so, like, why is the color so diluted here? And I mean, like, okay, I mean, look at this compression shirt that I'm wearing, okay? I'm wearing the Andrew Garfield, like, Spider-Man compression shirt here. I like this shirt, but let me tell you something. When I first got it, I'm like, why is it, it just seems so uh faded i guess and and it 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 mirrored kind of exactly what i had felt when watching the first amazing spider-man movie and the second one for that matter just in terms of looking at the colors did you guys notice anything like that or am i just insane yeah i am okay <laughs> no 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 i mean i noticed yeah no 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 i noticed i know exactly what you mean i noticed right, it as well right. yeah now let Maynard go. Maynard go first. No, you go ahead. I'll, 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 I've been starting a lot. You go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, yeah, no. Um, I think yeah, it's done intentionally. 
I really liked it because I think I didn't like it first because ten year old me was like, I need colors, but um, I can't. In fact, no. To be fair, I don't really like it now. Like you said, the Raimi movies are way more visually pleasing, right. um, In a lot of different ways, but I think it works. But I also think there's this weird with the Amazing Spider-Man movie. I don't know if you got the impression, but there was this weird obsession with making it tonally and visually akin to the Dark Knight because the Dark Knight was heavily successful and showed that superhero movies could be very, very, very serious. Yeah. So then I could see that. Yeah. Because the Raimi movies came out at a time where you know superhero movies weren't really considered serious movies if you know what i mean like they were oh, yeah. in that camp you're right the dark knight the christopher nolan came in did the dark knight trilogy and completely changed that viewpoint uh it proved that batman could be taken seriously as a crime thriller or you know then mark webb was like okay well, let's do it with spider-man spider-man can be a dark twisted romantical fantasy with you know a big giant human looking lizard thing and you know so it's i think the dark knight had a huge influence on this movie the same way in which in complete contrast, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, somehow, it goes from dark and broody to bright and colorful with The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And just by looking at the suits, you can see the difference. The Amazing Spider-Man yeah, 2 yeah. came out in 2014 after, guess what? The Avengers, which was the complete opposite of The Dark Knight in terms of cinematography, color. The MCU created this precedent of things need to pop, things need to be colorful again. You know, kind yeah, of the visual movies, language, yeah, Absolutely. yeah, with the visual language. So then, so the Amazing Spider-Man movies was like, okay, The Dark Knight was really successful. Let's do that. And then the Avengers came out, and then the Amazing Spider-Man two was like, oh, we got to do that. We got to copy the MCU. That's that. That's my that's my take on these movies. I think they just copied other superhero movies. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Any thoughts on the coloring? I mean, I I actually I really do can't can see what you're saying, Lewis. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think some of it. You know, we talked. I talked before about this is a comic book panel. This is a comic book yes. panel. Watching yes, yes, you did. And I think some of that has to do not just with what the Dark Knight did in movies, but with what had been going on with the books themselves and the coloring in the books themselves. That okay. we started seeing, you know, more muted tones in a lot of the books themselves and more kind of slick graphics as opposed to the, you know, you, you started seeing people doing more computer art into the comic, into the, the comic book art with a more hyper, with a more realistic style, but that also muted the color palettes mm -hmm. from, because what I would say with the Raimi ones, not just was it comic-y, Frequently for me, um, especially as an adult and going back and rewatching, you know, I was a older teen, I think, when the first Raimi's came out. Right. Maybe, maybe in my 20s. I don't remember. What year were those? Um, 2002 was the first one. Okay, so yeah, I was a full, I was an adult, but I was a young adult. Yeah. Um, you know, I was in my 20s when those came out. And they went from comics-y to in my opinion, cartoony. Okay, that's um, fair. There was a feeling of not so much bringing a comic book to life for me with those as bringing a cartoon to life. Well, and to be fair, Spidey's had his fair share of cartoons too. And Spidey's had a lot of great cartoons. And I think yeah. that the people who, I think Sam Raimi, when he made those movies, was using a lot of inspiration from those cartoons. And I think that the color palette especially 
was that extremely bright cartoon color palette. Whereas this one, I think, was, and comic books had been affected by the comic book of The Dark Knight, mm -hmm. where all of the comic books, for a while, people were going darker and darker in the shading on, on the page. Right. So I think you're right, Lewis, that they, they're imitating first The Dark Knight and then with Avengers, they bring the color back and then Spider-Man Amazing 2 brings the color back to a certain degree. But I also think that that's a thing that was happening on the page in, in a similar time thing where Marvel had kind of done more darker palettes and Ultimates used a darker palette than 616 mostly. Did. Was that was that when did the Jessica Jones comics come out? Oh, when did was, that, was that around that time? Because I, I can, 2005 Alias was right around then, yeah. I can't remember. Was it 2000? I'm see, uh, 2005 is ringing a bell. Was it? Am I thinking way earlier? Was it later? Hang on. <laughs> Yay, Google. <laughs> gonna get Google. No, I can 100% see what you mean. It's um. It's interesting. I've mean, once again never thought about it like that as well. Yeah, definitely. The comics in the 21st century because we they went through a period where they were heavily censored, weren't they? Oh, in, one to oh four was uh, Alias. Oh, okay. All right. That was that was during the Raimi era. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it, comics went through a period where they were heavily censored, weren't they? You know, around the 70s, I want to say, was it? Uh, I mean, oh, from the that... 50s all the way to the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it was. It was and very, very censors. Yeah, and if they weren't censoring them, they were creating adult imprints for them, like yeah. all yeah. acts and stuff starting, like that. So. Starting in the 80s and 90s is when they started doing Dark Horse and Max and yeah. started doing the adult imprints as the, the grip of the comics code was fading, largely due to the rise of comic book shops who would be willing to carry non-code comics. And people shifting their purchasing from newsstands to the specialty comic book stores right. uh, which caused the Comics Code Authority to lose its grip on the industry. And it basically no longer exists for any reasonable, in any reasonable way now. Right. But it took them, it, it, the grip started to wane in the 80s. It took them until the 2000s, I think, to really realize we can get away with a lot. And it took them a while as the authority was no longer the thing holding them back of them pushing a boundary and seeing what happened and pushing a boundary and seeing what they got and pushing a boundary to figure out where, where comics could be and what they could be doing without are you, that. Are you guys familiar with the, uh, are you guys familiar with the issues of amazing Spider-Man that were printed without the comics code authorities seal? Which ones? No, uh, it would have. I think it would have been in the number nineties somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, basically, it was a, um, it, it was it was an anti-drug story essentially, and uh, Peter's friend Harry was, you know, he was he was he was basically like going through suffering through a, a drug addiction, and essentially, um, you know, the idea was, you know, this, this is an anti-drug story. Well, the comics code was like, well, you can't depict that we're not going to give you the seal. And Stanley was like, okay, go ahead. Like, we're still going to go ahead and publish it. And they did. And this is, this is like a two part story. And they, so th they published the two issues of amazing Spider-Man without the comics codes, uh, seal of approval on it. And 
those those two issues are really popular for that for that reason because it was just basically like uh you are not always going to be the sole authority on this kind of thing you know it's it's just one of those things that i think is is amazing because yeah you know like i i I understand why people form these kinds of things, but they always end up being run by the wrong people and for the wrong reasons. And over time, they just don't work. I mean, history has shown that for, for a lot of these types of agencies. And so um, I'm just, yeah, no, Amazing Spider-Man had, had, a, had a little hand in that. So I really, really wish they would take the same advice at Marvel Editorial. It's not working. <laughs> leave it alone, please. Yeah. Leave Spider-Man alone. Leave, <laughs> leave it alone. <laughs> It's okay. It's all right. It's okay, Lewis. Hickman will save us. All right. Hickman is our goat. Hickman is the chosen one. He is. I'm I'm banking. I'm banking every shred of happiness I have in 2024 on Jonathan Hickman. Oh, he man. is my lord and savior. That is a that is a that is a that is a big bet. <laughs> after having seriously, after having read the incursions storyline and the where it was when it began and where it ended oh i i i fear for anyone basing their their happiness on hickman well oh, i think no, please. i i think i mean i i thought it was you that said this lewis hickman's good at getting a good story started but in terms of him like sticking around maybe that's not always the best thing i i, I thought i remembered you saying that i i don't think i don't think as i think cuz we discussed um the new ultimate launch on a previous podcast i don't think yeah. i was the one who said that but i i will say about hickman he has had some good stories in the past it, it i especially in my experience as you know i, I mainly read spider-man so there was this one that he did in amazing fantasy a thousand which was a collection of short spider-man stories and essentially it was a celebration of of the character and um, hickman wrote one of the final ones which is basically about peter parker accepting his fate of the fact that he's always going to be um he's always going to lose he's always going to have that part of him that that loses something but he has to just stick you know he just has to basically live with that and he has to keep going and and because basically the story is he goes to the multiverse um to the spider-verse and he basically asks all these different spider-man he's like hey are you guys suffering like i am and they kind of play with him at first like like uh nah we're not what you want what's happening to you bro like what's going on <laughs> but then but then he comes they all come around and like yeah we all suffer like we're just messing with you uh but you just gotta carry on and, and i really liked it because it was like it was a nice short story you know focusing on a, a, an aspect of spider-man that is very real and and uh, i think something applicable to to us in our daily lives i guess yeah people who read it and, 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 and that's the thing and and arguably not as well acknowledged you know so no, yeah. I, I I I think that's a really good point you make, which is why I'm confident that Hickman is going to do a decent job with Ultimate Spider-Man. Hopefully, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. I'm going to be reading that comic too, and uh, I, 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 I don't know, maybe uh, maybe maybe we should maybe we should co-review those together. You know, <laughs> that could be fun. We could definitely we could definitely talk about them at some point because yes. I reckon we'll have a lot of interesting things to say about them. Yes. Um, do we have anything else you want to say about uh, cinematography, special effects, camera work, anything else about the show that we we just want to talk about um, before we move on? Yeah, I mean, I guess I had a lot to say about cinematography right at the beginning. I do think that the cinematography is is beautiful. Um, I think I didn't appreciate it the first time I watched it because the okay. first time I watched it, I was in a place of like the previous 
the beginning of the MCU, which really focused on taking superheroes and making you feel like they were in reality. Yes. Like that was the, that was the, the beauty of Marvel phase one was making, taking a superhero movie and making it feel like this was a thing that was happening. And that in retrospect, that is not at all what's, that's not what Spider-Man was trying to do. They were trying to give you a comic book on the screen. Mm-hmm. They weren't trying to make you feel like you were in reality. They were trying to make you feel like a comic book had become a movie. And those are two completely different approaches to what you're visually going to be seeing. And I don't think I understood what they were doing the first time I watched it. Because the first time I watched it, I wasn't in love with the cinematography. Uh-huh. And now I realize it was because it wasn't realistic. And that's where I, I was as a you know, big MCU fan about to have my mind completely blown to bits, you know, with, uh, with uh, Avengers. Um, But now from a, from a greater distance, I can see that this wasn't trying to be what Avengers was trying to be. And it did what it was trying to do beautifully. I just wasn't willing to see it the first time. That's fair. That's fair. Lewis. No, I, I think uh, it's an interesting point and and uh yeah, I never saw it in that light at first. I'll have to, you know, ne- next time I do watch Amazing Spider Man, I think I'm gonna have to have to look out for that. I, I think before b- before we try to do like a rating, like I, I always try to do a tier list rating for these movies. Um I think before we move into that, I'm just gonna hit a quick wrap up with my with my final thoughts. So um overall this is this is a movie that I really do enjoy. It, it's a movie that has uh, I, I come away with it with a positive feeling. There are definitely hiccups. There are issues with it that I'm kind of like, wish they'd done that differently. Wish they'd done this differently. More so than a lot of Spider-Man movies. But I think I mean I mean especially after the the chat that I've had with you two. I mean that you know that's okay. They were they were starting over. They had basically done one iteration. They had to, uh, they had the, they had to wipe the slate clean. Well, they didn't have to, but they did. And um, they were trying to do something markedly different from the Raimi trilogy. And I would, I would argue on that front, they succeeded. Um, They definitely made a different experience. I do feel that this was the start of kind of studio executive involvement that started to kind of service the narrative in a way that wasn't beneficial. For instance, you know, like Norman Osborn is brought up in the movie, but you never see him, you know, you don't, you don't see him until the second movie. And I think it's only one scene, one scene. And then he's dead. And then he's dead, you know, and you know, uh, Probably they were planning to bring him back for the third movie. Uh, who knows? You know. Oh yeah, he's going to be a floating head, by the way. Ah uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Do, I do, have you? Have you? Have you heard Seriously? that? No. No. <laughs> so he, they were bringing him back as um, a floating head. There would be like this villain. He's like, like a Futurama. Like Modok. What? Yeah. 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 But yeah, kind of like he was kind of like in this container. He was going to be a floating head. What? <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I'm being dead serious. Genuinely. Oh my god. They were gonna bring they were gonna bring him back. It was crazy. Oh my genuinely. god. Okay, genuinely. Sorry. Type on Google. Type on Google. 
Norman Osborn, Floating Head, Amazing Spider-Man 3. I, I will check. I you will, will check that out. Yes. You will regret it, but it's worth the look. Okay. All right. <laughs> Anyways, wow. You just... Because, okay, let, let's let's be fair. All right. Amazing Spider-Man 2 is not going to get as good a treatment as this film is going to get from me, at least. <laughs> and and I think, Lewis, what you just said... <laughs> really kind of gives fuel to the fire that I'm so glad they stopped this particular train. I do regret that Andrew Garfield had to be part of it because I do feel as, as good as he does in the, in these movies, his part is diminished by just weird decisions that are made with the script and some of the, some of the directing and things like that. And, um, you know, again, despite all of it, it's a movie that I still am like, okay, that was all right. I had some issues with the suit. I had some issues with the villain. I had some issues with like the d general direction. But overall, Spider-Man story, enjoyed it. Peter is a good person. And, uh, you know, I, I liked I liked Gwen and and a lot of the people around them. So, you know, and, and by the way, Gwen's dad, who I didn't talk much about, uh, Dennis Leary, mm -hmm. excellent choice to play Captain Stacy even if I might not have written it the way they did in the movie, he was an excellent, excellent choice to really kind of be the, you know, the, the, I'm going to take this kid out to the shed, uh, you know, verbally like, Hey, you, you know, you think we're just sitting around with our, you know, he's a stand-up comedian and he, and he's, he's a hostile stand-up comedian, which was actually an excellent cast for that particular role. So um, that's my little putting that in there because I didn't say anything about him um, for this whole episode. But um, overall, it is it is a movie that while I do enjoy it and I do like it, it's not going to hit the top tiers of Spider-Man movies or Spider-Man movies for me. Lewis, your thoughts on this movie? Uh, yeah, great movie. One of my favorite Spider-Man movies of all time. It, it runs up my list every time I watch it. I think just... I think it's more of a. I, I like to describe this as a guilty pleasure. It's um, a movie that okay. runs higher in my list every time I watch it because of the. Um, I just resonate with with the, the themes and the story. Yeah, and um, and Peter and Gwen are very cute when they're and you know, and Peter and Gwen are very cute. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I can't I can't lie. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's a great movie. Um, for me, it's one of the one of the better Spider Man movies in my opinion. Okay, Maynard. Um, I, I'm kind of with Lewis with that. Every time I watch this, it creeps up a little higher on, <laughs> on the list. Um, I initially, I did like it when it came out. Um, I was not, I did actually like it better than the Tobey Maguire's as soon okay. as it came out, because I think I liked the, the cool quippy Spider-Man. I felt like he wasn't a great Peter Parker. Like I said, he was a little too cool for school. Um, right. But I hadn't thought about viewing it in terms of the Ultimates, which that then, you know, Ultimate Spider-Man, because I didn't read that right when it first came out. So, yeah, I'd read Ultimate Avengers and that kind of put me off the Ultimates imprint. Mm. That's completely fair. <laughs> so I've read the Ultimates. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. So I didn't realize for, a, it took a while and the talk and people saying things for me to realize that Ultimate Spider-Man was the crown jewel of the Ultimates approach um it was what made it all worth it oh yeah um so i hadn't realized those things so when you point out now that, that this is 
not 616 Peter. This is Ultimates Peter. That drives it up the list even more. So I would say, yeah, uh, probably still doesn't top the Tom Holland ones for me, but it's it's up there. I really up do there. like it, and I I have a much greater appreciation now for what they were going for. And okay. yeah, they did still, there were some still some sour notes. There were definitely some points where they missed what they were going for, but I think I have a much greater appreciation for this film now. Excellent. And I mean, you know, that's what I love about these types of conversations. You know, um, I started this podcast, I had meant to start it at the beginning of 2023, and I didn't um, because I'm really good at putting things off. Uh, I'm a master procrastinator and I always have been. Then my cat got sick, very nearly died. I was fortunately able to save her. But I think shortly after she got better, um, I was just like, you know, I need to kick myself in the butt and just do this. And by the time the year ends, I will have done 25 episodes of this podcast. And it has been so worth it simply because I get to have conversations like this with people like, uh, like Maynard, you, you and I have been friends for years. Luce, you and I just met this year. And I, and I, I think a big part of the reason that we met was because I started doing this podcast, because I started looking for more Spider-Man YouTubers out there. And I love having these types of conversations because we get to, we get to see other people's perspectives. We're both, or we're all three of us. Like we, we, we love our, we love our comics. We love Spider-Man. We are very well versed in all of these things. And yet we all bring different perspectives to this. And I think it's through hearing those different perspectives that we, we gain, um, we, we may not change each other's minds. Sometimes we do, but oftentimes we change our perspectives and through those changed perspectives, we gain a better understanding and hopefully a deeper appreciation of this media. So I want to thank you guys just very much, um, for, for this discussion. It, it, it has been a, wonderful one. And uh, I, I think I think we're going to try now to do something much more arbitrary. And uh, I'm just going to ask you guys, uh, Lewis, Maynard, let's pretend you're putting this movie on a tier list. Which tier list rating would you give, give it? S being the best, A being amazing, B being great, C being memorable, and D being meh. And I'm sorry, but the F tier is only for Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, that was yeah. such a bad movie. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> Maynard and I went and saw that together. And we, we were both laughing throughout the whole thing. Because it was I'm, not I'm so sorry. I feel so bad for you guys that you had to go through that experience. Yeah. I mean, okay, look, we also went and saw the F4 movie together. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We can yeah, talk about the F4 movie. Yeah. <laughs> we we've been we've been through some trauma. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's traumatic. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, tier list. What rating would either of you give the Amazing Spider-Man from 2012? A for amazing. A for amazing. All right, Lewis or uh, yeah. Um, I think I'd also put it on an A list. All right. Okay. All right. 
So not quite top tier, but pretty close for you then, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. For me, this film straddles the line between probably a B and an A. Um, and I think I, I haven't, I'm, I'm going to do a podcast episode about the movies on a tier list, but that is long after I have reviewed and reacted to all of these movies individually. So it's going to be a while. So I think because that tier list is still so relatively unfilled that at least for now, I'm going to go ahead and put it in the B tier because I know I've, I know I've got, uh, I think pretty much all of the Raimi movies um, are either S or A tier right now. So I reserve the right to change that, of course, and maybe I will by the time we get to that particular episode of this show. I don't know when that'll be. It'll probably be a good year from now at the soonest. So um, because we're going to review Craven the Hunter and Madam Web and Venom 3 as well. So, you know, and we will review Morbius. I won't ask any, I won't ask you two to do it uh, <laughs> because I don't want to revisit old traumas with you, but it will get reviewed. So, um, no, I do reserve the right to ask you, but you, you can refuse with, you know, no problem there. So anyways, <laughs> anyways, yeah, I think, you, I think you know what I think of that one. But uh, yeah, it, it's always fun to have someone to talk about movies with. So again, I want to thank Lewis Films and Maynard for discussing The Amazing Spider-Man with me in this episode. I, I hope you guys had fun. Did you? Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah. No, thank you very much. I'm going to go ahead and start with Lewis on this particular question. What projects, socials, and so forth are you, do you have going on in your lives? Where can people find you if you even want to be found? Uh, just Lewis Films. That's where I... It's the YouTube channel, like guys. Go for That's it. it. Yeah. yeah. I don't really use other social media. I probably should, but I don't. Not that much. Anyway. You might get there someday. Or you might not. And that's fine, too. <laughs> you know? All right. I've been pretty inactive socially, social media wise, unfortunately, at the moment. I will probably try to be getting up again. And hopefully maybe next time I visit you, I'll have something to talk about. But at the moment, I'm I'm not really doing a lot on the media. That is that is okay. And I mean, like we we all have ebbs and flows with with activity. Um, If I if I didn't have this podcast, I would probably be, I, I would probably be playing a lot of video games. Okay. Cause again, my nephew got me to play Fortnite. Okay. Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, uh, thank you guys, uh, for being here. So with that said, let's move on to the web spinners recommendation segment of the show. So for this segment, you guys are going to see the direct evidence that my nephew visited me this weekend, because for this week's Web Spinner's recommendation, I'd like to recommend the game 
Boomerang Foo, which <laughs> is available on the Nintendo Switch, PC, PlayStation 4 and 5, and Xbox, whatever letters they've got out now. And I actually had kind of a ridiculous amount of fun playing this game with my nephew. In this game, you are some cartoon characters. It can, I, I, I played as a cartoon banana, okay? And I, my nephew played as a donut. And we were running around on this little overhead map and you are armed with boomerangs. And you basically square off against the computer or another person or whatever. And you're throwing boomerangs at each other and trying, trying to kill each other. That's basically how it works. It is ridiculous fun. It's fairly fast paced. And I really found myself enjoying it. It is rated uh, 10 plus by the ESRB. And um, it, I don't know. It was a lot of fun. I had never played it before. And now I'm actually considering going and getting it for, you know, my Nintendo Switch or possibly even my PS5. So uh, highly recommended. Check it out. If nothing else, go watch a video of someone playing it. And I bet you'll be like, Hmm, that kind of looks fun. Uh, Lewis, do you have any recommendations this week for my listeners to read, watch, play, or listen to? Yeah, I do actually. I, I've so kind of keeping it on topic with maybe the romance subplot of Amazing Spider-Man. Okay. I, me and my girlfriend have been watching Euphoria. Now I have and, never seen Euphoria. Uh, please tell me more about it. it it has it has a stigma online that it's very um it's i guess people say it's too it's very substance um, heavy <laughs> too substance heavy for its own good but i'd argue that potentially that's what makes it so real because there's moments where you're watching it and you're like this is really cringy or it's like really awkward to watch but in that kind of sense it emulates real life so well and it's shot so beautifully it's Every shot, every every scene has has amazing lighting. There's always a lot of atmos, and it's it's got this vibe about it, and and it's it takes it takes teen teen drama to a, a whole new level of of um of just like wow, like it isn't Riverdale, you know what I mean? It's it's it it is beautifully crafted narratively as well like it's written with prowess and it's it's shot with prowess as well it's it's a really good it's a really good show and it took me by surprise because i've always wanted to watch it you know it's got zendaya in it you know i, I love zendaya in the homecoming trilogy and you know it, it i've i've grew up with zendaya on disney channel and i've always been a fan of her and you know she's always been a pull for the show but i never realized how good of an actress she actually is there's the best this best performance I've seen from Zendaya ever. And it is incredible. And if I'm not mistaken, another one of the actresses on that show, Sydney Sweeney is also going to be starring in a Spider-Man adjacent movie, Madam yes. Web. Yes. Yeah, Sydney Sweeney will be in Madam Web as well. Who is, who plays Cassie in, in, in euphoria. So yeah, a lot of Spider-Man connections in there. <laughs> nice. Nice. I, I've heard even Tom Holland has asked Zendaya, Hey, uh, I, I might like to, do a guest role on there or something. So that'd be cool. And Maynard, same. What recommendations do you have this week for my listeners to read, watch, play, or listen to? So um, the author who has been behind a lot of the recent Ghost Spider books, uh, mm -hmm. Sean and McGuire. Oh, I know that name. Oh, okay. Yes. Has um, 
a lot of books that she publishes traditionally. Okay. Um, the one that I'm going to recommend right now is an older series of hers. It's three books long. It's the Velveteen series. Right. Uh, Velveteen versus the Junior Superheroes of America, I think, is the first one. <laughs> it does the idea behind the boys, but in a not grim, dark, gross way. Mm -hmm. So basically you have a superhero who was part of a child superhero group and realized that the company that controls the superheroes is controlling the superheroes. Oh boy. And she gets out because they sort of are willing to let her go because her power set doesn't market well as an adult because she can animate toys. Okay, that's a cool power. <laughs> right um, that is a very cool power. That's like Toy Story on a whole new level. Yes. And <laughs> the whole series reads as the first book is the uh, they read as short stories, so almost ep very episodic, very comic okay. book like. And they get more and more connected as they go on. And Seanan also has a Patreon. And if you are a member for only $1, you get new short stories every month. And so even though these Velveteen books are fairly old, the last three months have been new Velveteen stories on her Patreon. Interesting. Um, That's cool. I like that. I and like so I very much recommend uh, the Velveteen books by Sean and McGuire and join her Patreon for more Velveteen content. This was what she was doing before she got a job with Marvel. The first Velveteen books came out long before she got a job with Marvel, but more superhero writing from a Marvel superhero writer. That's awesome. And uh, I didn't I didn't know Shannon McGuire was writing for Marvel. That's great. Oh, yeah. She's been writing Spider-Gwen for, for quite a while. That's I awesome. remember she's hilarious on social media. And somebody was talking about how Spider-Gwen was the only one with a brain cell in the Spider-Verse comic. <laughs> and she literally responded on Tumblr with, as the person who's currently writing Gwen Gawanda Stacy, I can verify she hasn't seen the brain cell in years. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Okay. All right. Well, well, thank you. Thank you guys for those recommendations. They sound wonderful. And um, I will uh, I, I will check them out. I've 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 actually been taking a lot of people's recommendations from these segments. And actually going and looking at them like uh lewis uh, you recommended uh the the original friday the 13th movie on one episode which i which i hadn't seen at the time like you know i knew about it but i hadn't watched it i've i went ahead and watched it and i was like okay this, this is good as as a as a horror film person i can now say that i've seen the original friday the 13th so yeah, like I I take you guys' recommendations and and I, I I at least explore them even if I don't follow up on them. So all right. And I believe that brings us close to the end of the show.
If you enjoyed this episode of The Webline, please be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on my YouTube channel, simply named Spidey Librarian, where I also maintain a playlist of all podcast episodes. The Webline is also available on audio services, so when you see us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or another such service, please leave a review, a rating, and, where possible, follow us as well. I would like to add on that note, I've been a little slow getting the edits up to the audio services lately, so I think I'm about I'm one or two episodes behind. The webline will be taking a break in December and January, and I'm going to use a lot of that time to catch up, just so you guys know. They will get there, but right now, if you want to see the most recent episodes, you got to come to my YouTube channel. You can find me on my socials under the name Spidey Librarian on Threads, Twixter, as I'm now calling it, Instagram, (laughs) right? You know, Facebook, WordPress, and Twitch. And finally, if you'd like to shoot me an email, you can contact me at spideylibrarian at gmail.com, where I'll be happy to hear your thoughts, rants, and ideas. You never know. Your email might feature in an upcoming episode. Next Sunday, December 10th, will be another installment of Spidey Reads. I will again be joined by Aaron Garcia to talk about some of the more memorable holiday stories that have been told within the Spider-Man comics. Will there be a holiday swarm of little gremlins that Spidey will have to fight to save the city? Will someone have to die hard and fight off a bunch of Santa Claus-looking terrorists? Is there a real Santa Claus that has to battle the Grinch with Spidey's help in order to save Christmas? At least one of those is true. Which one is it? Well, you'll have to join us live next Sunday, December 10th, to find out. Thanks again to Maynard and Lewis for joining me this episode. I really appreciate you being here. And thank you for listening. Until the next episode, I'll be wishing you a good day.